You're listening to a Marcus Sahaba online radio podcast. Yes, I just gone 8.15 Central African time. At that time of the evening when you tune into one of your favorite programs, the Medical Files. Let's welcome a pious and sagacious of my with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh lukalo on the board and I can tell you yes sir we have one of your favorite physicians on uh, this evening and none other than veteran uh, doctor veteran broadcaster also someone that has been very popular on medical files someone that I resonate very positively on the platforms of uh, uh, Marcus Sahaba and many other platforms, mashallah, even our Mufti A.K. Hussain and Ahmed Barakatum have a lot of feeling for this doctor, not forgetting even our Bilal Sikali. So, uh, yes, uh, as we welcome you with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, so do we welcome our family physician, uh, Dr. Farooq Kapiji, onto the platforms of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, with a hearty Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening, Dr. Farooq Kapiji? Wa alaikum salam to you and to your listeners. Alhamdulillah. Uh, it has been a lovely evening. Uh, after the rains that we've had, alhamdulillah, the rains were gentle. And we just make dua that Allah Ta'ala doesn't send rains that are damaging uh, to, to, uh, to uh, structures and to people. Uh, and this rain was quite uh, nice because it was just a gentle rain for three days in Durban that we had. MashaAllah. Yes, as you say, doctor, everything in moderation. And uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us rain, we make sugar for that. But as you said, imagine anything in excess will cause uh, damage. Uh, MashaAllah, you know, we've been advertising your programs uh, for the past two days and people have been responding. So, you know, it's good to have you. And, you know, I'm going to share a secret, people. Dr. Farooq Kafiji actually made a request to, uh, this evening. He said, Shafat, I will have to complete my Isha Salah and then I'll come on board. And Alhamdulillah, Summa Alhamdulillah, we embrace him, we celebrate him. And as I said, I always I look up to him uh, for special advice. And he's someone that can be emulated for all the good qualities uh, that he has. And uh, Dr. Farooq Kafiji, for those uh, you know that have a short memory, that don't know what a family physician does, could you uh, refresh their memories, the doc? Yes, um, a family physician is is uh, is a general practitioner, but uh, uh, going through um, further training uh, to um, hone in on what the patient, uh, uh, looking at the patient as a whole, uh, looking at the fame a patient in. Uh, um, with their problems, uh, with their surrounding, that means their family, their environment, their, wherever they're staying, their neighborhood, uh, their, 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 their country, or at least their, their city or town, and then, their, and then the country. So all those, and, and also their work. What work, that's, what work do they do and how, does, how is the work impacting on his health or her health? So that's what we do. We, we, we actually tie in uh, the whole person with his environment and his employment and his feelings for his people close to him. And, um, uh, and uh, that's, uh, that makes a very big difference because we find that about 30 or 40 percent uh, of illnesses are due to psychological problems. Absolutely, and you had well said. You know, uh, Doctor, uh, okay, you know, you, we have many foreigners uh, that have come into the country from Africa descending into this country. You know, perhaps uh, the uh, thinking is different, and when they come into this country, their psychological problem will be, you know, perhaps having uh, the fear of uh, xenophobia 
or is the business going bad? And, you know, there's always on this uh, tender hooks, what's going to happen next? They're always looking over the shoulder. You know, in that case, uh, you know, we take a uh, hypothetical case where, you know, you get uh, maybe a Somalian, a Somalian brother or a Bangladeshi brother coming to you and with these uh, the symptoms of depression. Or all. How do you handle them, uh, Doc? Yes, uh, they have a special problem, and, and besides, and one of the big problems in this country is the xenophobia that's going around, and they feel unsafe. All of them feel completely unsafe and insecure. Now, even if they are legally uh, present in South Africa, they've got legal documents, and they haven't bought their documents. They've, they've come in with legally. Sometimes some of them have been here for 12, 15 years, but they still, when the xenophobic attacks occur, Nobody asks them, how long are you here, and are you here legally or not? They just attack everyone who is foreign. So uh, they, they feel threatened and, and they, they feel um, uh, insecure. Uh, but uh, the important thing is, again, uh, that most of them come here to South Africa not only to earn a living for themselves, they send the money back to their families at home. And usually mm-hmm. their families are struggling at home. And if you look at people from Malawi, uh, they really are really, really battling at home uh, in Malawi, starving because there's not enough uh, food and not enough money to buy the food. So a lot of their income that they earn goes to their parents, to their family members. So they they are like the breadwinners. So there is a big responsibility on them uh, to uh, to continue performing, to continue working, so that they can. Uh, continue to support their family, families, well, wherever they are. Uh, so that strain uh, also uh, the, um, makes them, you know, it's like like a big responsibility that they have on on their shoulders. Also, the living conditions are also very important, and usually you find that uh, these people are not living in proper houses that we live in. Uh, some of them are. Some of them have done very well do live in, in good conditions, but most of them are not living in good conditions, and the security, wherever they're living, is not up to mark. So even at night, uh, they have a problem because it, anything can happen. And these days, uh, with, uh, with the violence that takes place even at nighttime, uh, they, they feel very unsafe, and that, that does lead to depression, leads to anxiety as well. They feel uneasy and restless and... Uh, and uh, but and, but they can't go home because by going home there's no work there there's no money there's no way in which they can survive so they have to stay here so they are in, they are in between a rock and a hard place and we have to be sympathetic towards them. Well said, that Dr. Farooq Hafeezi and Mashallah, Summa Mashallah. You know you have the whole scenario and you know you're up to speed and I'm, I really am astounded by your you know your, your close connection to what's going on on the ground. And, you know, also looking at uh, the ANC uh, veterans, I mean, the past few days they've been marching in Durban and going to foreign-owned shops and telling them, you know what, we want our locals to take. I mean, they're, they're really putting them under pressure and, you know, try telling uh, the ANC uh, veterans that they wouldn't want to hear anything about it. But the good point here is, uh, Dr. Farooq Kafiji, Muslims have empathy, uh, the sympathy, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for those that are earning a halal a rosy. Then we talk about the pandemic, you know, you touched on that. And we find that kids in a, there's a, a kindergarten school teacher telling me uh, this morning that one of the kids sneezed in the class and another kid looked at her and said, hey, 
looks like you have coronavirus. I mean, look at our kids are very conscientized, three, four years old, three and a half years old. They know exactly what this pandemic is all about. What about their psychological outlook on this pandemic, uh, doctor? Yes, uh, it is affecting the children very badly. And, uh, the, and uh, you, we don't realize that uh, children are listeners, are very good listeners. And uh, their way of thinking is not uh, logically like ours. Their, their way of thinking is different. Uh, and we, we, we may not expect them to think like, we may expect them to think like us, but, but they don't. Um, they, are, they also um, uh, uh, take blame very quickly. They are innocent children. Uh, uh, and Allah has made them like that. But uh, what, when they listen to the parents, and, and now it depends now how the parents are. See, the parents are anxious about COVID-19, and they are talking about, uh, you know, the, the fact that, um, that so-and-so has got it, and we have to be careful, and we mustn't go there, and we mustn't do this. And the child is listening. And the child is going to create is going to create an insecurity in that child. It's going to create uh, some anxiety in that child uh, about what this virus is. Now, children don't understand what a virus is. They don't know what it is, but uh, but uh, they just they just think that something bad is there and uh, uh, they have to watch out for it. Also, uh, there's a stigma attached to coronavirus, and for some reason, people who feel that. Uh, some people feel that whoever's got coronavirus, uh, they, they, you, you must keep away from them and you must, uh, you, you must look down on them. Uh, you point a finger at them and say, they've, they've, got, mm. they've got COVID-19. And we shouldn't be like that. We should be sympathetic towards them because anybody can get it. This disease is no doubt, we, we medical people, Muslim medical people are absolutely sure that this virus is from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. How it came, it, we we don't have to we don't we don't have to ask. Uh, this is sent by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. If you if you understand the workings of this virus, how complicated it is, you would be amazed, absolutely amazed, how this virus works and how it how it selects its uh, its victims. And it's all due to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. If you're going to get it, you're going to get it. If you don't get it, you won't get it. So. Uh, you know, why worry about it? Just take precautions. If you take precautions and you get it, it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't take precautions and you get it, well, that comes from yourself. So just be careful as far as that is concerned. Now, with the kids, with the children, you must, be, you must make sure that you don't talk in front of them. Don't talk uh, uh, things that are insecure, things that are bad in front of your children. Rather do that when the children are asleep and you're alone in your, uh, with, with your spouse. Uh, that's a time for you to discuss things that are uh, that the children don't understand very well. But you can tell them that, look, you know what, this virus is around and you need to uh, keep away from uh, uh, from people, not forever. You, know, you have to explain to them, this is not forever. This is just for a little while until this virus goes away. Once it's gone, you can go and do whatever you want to do. The problem is that uh, um, children, uh, people, people um, initially thought, that children were the ones who spread the disease and brought it home to the elderly. But now we know, after research has been done, that children very rarely get this disease. And, and they, they are not the transmitters. They don't transmit the disease. And if you look what happened in South Africa after the schools have opened, a lot of teachers got coronavirus. A lot of teachers got COVID-19, and they picked it up from other sources, from outside school, from family gatherings, and from funerals and from other gatherings. But they didn't pick it up from children. 
and most children in school have not picked it up. So that that just shows that uh, it uh, and, and if, do, if they do pick it up, it's a mild disease. Very rarely, children do get a very severe form of COVID, very severe form of COVID. Uh, but it's not a very common phenomenon. It's it's uh, it's, it's, it's not common. So. I think it's important how we approach children. We have to be delicate with them. We have to explain to them uh, very carefully that, uh, you know what, uh, this is nothing to be afraid of. Is this something that's going to pass? Very often children feel that this, this is going to be like this forever. So that creates a problem in their mind. Uh, and uh, they want to go and hug Nana and Nani and Dada and Daddy. And mm. the parents are telling them, don't go and hug them uh, now because you, you, you may have the virus and you may pass it on to them. So that creates, creates a bit of a problem for, for them because they want to do it, but they can't. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, the, the, the thing to do is tell them that this is a temporary thing and children don't have a real concept of time. So even if it takes a year or, or two, uh, it doesn't matter because kids, are, kids are, you know, they, they, they forget very quickly and uh, uh, they come to terms with things very easy. Well said, the doc. And I'm thinking aloud here. Uh, you know, what about children? You know, so many people have passed on. Uh, you know, they have seen their deaths around them. How do children, uh, you know, uh, handle this uh, scenario of someone very close to them succumbing uh, to maybe this virus and passing on, uh, doctor? It's been very bad, actually. It's very, very bad uh, because uh, people who are ending up in hospital and in ICU, in high care, high flow oxygen. They, ventilation, no visitors are allowed. So because no visitors are allowed, the family members don't see this sick person. And sometimes they're in hospital for four or five weeks, and then they pass on. And then the only time the family sees them again, after they've left them in the hospital, four or five weeks later, they see them when they've passed away. Even that too, at a distance, because they, they because of COVID nineteen, it can be transmitted after death. So they so they keep away from uh, from they have to keep away from the body as well. So it, it does create a, a very more big emotional challenges for uh, for children as well, for adults, adults as well, and children as well. Now it has eased a little bit. The, the hospitals have found a way in which to allow family members to visit uh, maybe for one minute or two minutes, but they have to be in complete uh, um, cover with PPE, the personal protective equipment, uh, and uh, wear, wear that and, uh, and then go and see the patient. Uh, so uh, it has, it has, it's a new dimension, new type of, of, uh, of uh, living, a new type of visiting the hospital uh, because we've never experienced this in all our lives, uh, we've never experienced this before. Uh, this pandemic is completely different, and so we have to we have to just go with with the knowledge that Allah Taala has given us. All knowledge comes from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and He will release the knowledge to us as time goes on. All cure, all diseases have cure, and inshallah, Allah Taala Allah Taala will send the cure for this disease as well. Inshallah. Inshallah, I mean, a fascinating uh, conversation with our family physician, Dr. Farooq Afiji, and Alhamdulillah, uh, if you want to give us your questions, 084-786-3132, we do have a whole array of questions already coming through, and Inshallah, we'll go for a break, and after that, we'll be addressing your questions with our Dr. Farooq Afiji. Let's go do some shopping. 
You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. 833 Central African Time, a medical files with our Dr. Farouk Hafiji, a family physician. That's there, we now really took me way back, Dr. Farouk Hafiji, way back. You know, when I said to the Comparative Religion show, 2001, 2002, Ijaz Ahmed comes to mind, uh, Yusuf Ali, hey, the whole team, and our very own Dr. Farooq Hafiji. Hey, I remember on the medical show, he used to come and meet me hey, uh, late at night. And wow, well, those are memories with you, Doc. And I still have that love and uh, efficacious yes. feeling towards you. Looking at the questions that, that have come through, Ahmed Kaji says, Assalamu alaikum to two men I respect, Brother Shafa'at and Dr. Farooq Hafiji. Allah reward you both for your unique field of expertise, and Allah grant our Mufti A.K. Hussein more barakah. I mean to that, it goes on to say, lots of rave reviews about turmeric, Dr. Farooq Hafiji. What is the limit to, to, to daily turmeric intake? Eh? The turmeric coming to the foyer, Doc? Yes, uh, turmeric is a, um, is a spice that's very uh, excessively used uh, uh, in Indian cooking, in, especially in India, in South India, and uh, it uh, too much of um, uh, too much of it. It's called called haldi, um, and uh, the turmeric is yellow in color. And if you have too much of turmeric, it's a, you can actually turn your skin into yellow and your eyes into yellow too. Wow! So, so it can it, it often confuses us when you look at people who have had, who have taken a lot of turmeric, the eyes, the white of the eye looks yellow. And we often wonder whether they are jaundiced or not. Uh, and uh, we have to ask them, do you have turmeric? And how much of turmeric do you have? Because uh, it, it's actually coloring your tissues in your body. So that means if it's coloring the eye and it's coloring the skin, the skin has a yellow tinge to it. So if it's coloring the eyes and t- coloring the skin, it means it's coloring every organ in your body. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's that's if you have excessive amounts of it. But uh, in in normal amounts that we use for cooking, there's no problem. It's, it's not going to create much of a much of a problem if you use it just for cooking. Turmeric is an anti-inflammatory agent. It causes uh, it's, it's like it's like uh, medicines that we use, like Voltaren and Brufen. These are anti-inflammatories. They, they help with muscle pains and joint pains. So we must remember that turmeric is an anti-inflammatory. With the result that if we have too much of turmeric raw, without uh, without any uh, without a meal, it can cause our stomach to become inflamed. We, we can get a gastritis from it. Uh, so we have to be careful as far as that is concerned. But consumption of uh, turmeric in in curries, a small amount, is no problem. That that is uh, that uh, that actually is quite helpful. So uh, if my good friend uh, Jiva Ratnam, uh, you know, from uh, South India, if he comes to me and I see yellow eyes, I shouldn't be concerned. I say, hey, I know Jiva. You've been having a lot of turmeric in your broad beans. It's hey, yes, chef, I love it. Okay, I. Jazakallah for that, Doc. You know, we, I didn't know that, you know, as you said, yellow eyes and people turning yellow, you say, hey, jaundice, and, you know, jaundice could be fatal also. Jazakallah yeah. for that. And Mr. Sosiwala says, Assalamu alaikum. The show is a valued. I enjoy all medical advice weekly. Please comment, uh, Doctor, on the benefits of letting our small children play outdoors and walk barefoot. 
I think, uh, you know, we don't do that. We are not giving enough air to our feet and push your dog. Oh, uh, yes, uh, it's uh, very important that, and uh, surprisingly, uh, it's the arch of the foot that needs to be developed. And uh, you'll find that most children under the age of one will have flat feet. Their feet will be flat, no arch. And the way the arch develops is when they jump and they run and they, uh, they, they, they jump from stairs down. And you'll find children doing this. Children two and a half, three years old, they'll show you that, look, I'm jumping from the top step to the bottom step. And you must let them do it because as long as it's not dangerous and they're not going to fall, because what they're doing is they're actually developing their arch. So, so you, 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 must, you must do that. Now, shoes, the harder the shoes, the more restrictive it is for the feet. If you're going to make children wear shoes, it must be shoes that are are flexible and conform to their feet and not tight uh, so that it, it's like it's like them walking bare feet without without shoes but the only reason why you you're using this is to protect the feet from injury in case there's a nail or some stones or whatever it is on the floor and you're protecting them so this type of shoe is an ideal type of shoe for children uh, so that uh, it's not restrictive it's, it's, uh, it's uh, the foot can go in any direction that it wants to the arch can develop quite well uh, and that's what you want that's the ideal the you know the, the fancy looking shoes that are, are hard and restrictive uh, they are not good for children, and in fact, uh, you should you shouldn't be shouldn't be used. So that's a very important question there, and uh, we find that children who are who don't jump around uh, and, and and don't uh, uh, run around too much, and and that's what we are finding now with children who are who are now on iPads and on computers and and uh, children who have got computer games and they sit and. Uh, uh, with these and and not run around and jump around, uh, they are they are developing flat feet at an early age. By the time they're eight or nine years old, they've already got flat feet because they haven't had it. They haven't given their feet a chance to develop. So you'll find that if you just allow the child to jump around and run around, you'll find that they'll develop very good arches which will last them forever. Inshallah. Yeah. Inshallah, you know, you know, you actually make a point that, that we were not made for the concrete jungle. We were made for those orchards, those buggy chars, climbing the trees, jumping, falling, getting hurt, and you know, uh, living in an extended family. Doctor, that's all gone. I mean, people are living in on uh, literally on top of each other. Your comments? Yes, uh, yeah, that's another thing that's uh, uh, creating a problem, uh, and uh, I think. Uh, uh, I think it's not a good idea. Uh, we we need uh, we need to live in extended family situations uh, because uh, there's help always available. There's physical help available. There's emotional help available. There's support available, uh, and there, uh, there's a lot of barka. There's a lot of barka in people eating together, mm. uh, and, you know, sitting on a table and eating together with three, four generations of people uh, on the table. Uh, the, the grandfather, grandmother, father, mother, uh, this, this son or daughter, and, the, and their child. That's four generations. So um, do you know how much of barka that family will get if, if, if that happens? So, and if that happens every day, you can imagine the barka that family is going to get every day. But we are missing out on that. And uh, so one, one of the things that happens is that uh, because 
people are now living in singular fam- in singular, singular units, husband and wife living in one unit. Uh, and so uh, when the baby comes, now there's a big problem because uh, um, looking after this baby is a challenge for the new mother uh, living on her own. She has to get help. Somebody has to go and live with her uh, to help her for the next three months or so until she, uh, she, she can cope with the baby. Uh, whereas in an extended family situation, she doesn't have to do anything because there's enough hands in the house to carry the child and to help with the child and to change the napkin and to do whatever else is necessary while the mother can rest. Uh, living alone, there's no rest for the mother. The mother is a 24-hour job when you, when you, when you have a child. Uh, and uh, we see the worn-out worn out mothers uh, uh, in practice after they've uh, uh, given birth and they are living on, on their own uh, in, uh, without any help from anybody. So I think Google has played a, a significant role in this because uh, whatever uh, they want to know, whatever the young mothers want to know, they will Google it. They don't need the grandparents anymore. Uh, they don't need to ask the grandparents, what did you do and how did you do it? All they do is go on to Google, and the Google will tell them what to do. So that eliminates the need uh, for, for, for advice from, from the elders. Uh, so, again, there's nothing better than experience. Experience is really something that uh, can, that can uh, save you. So, and, and, and Google doesn't have experience. Google just has information. So the experience uh, is with our elders. And therefore, it's very important to get the advice of elders. Well, Dr. Farooq Hafiji says that's so beautiful. Google doesn't have that human touch. No, it doesn't. It just gives you mass information, and, you know, it's so cold, and you get it. And, uh, you know, I know, uh, Dr. Farooq Hafiji, you brought it so graphically alive that, you know, I can see aunties fighting to get control of the baby. You know, I'll take care. I'll watch it. I'll do this. I'll do that. That is missing. Jazakallah, Doc, you really bring it alive this evening. What a beautiful evening with you. Julie Masi says, Assalamu alaikum, Shafaat, and Dr. H. Hey, Julie Masi must be knows our Dr. Farooq Hafiji. She says, We have enjoyed you both on Islamic radio for many years. Together, you created a warm team. Can elders contract eczema late in life? And what would trigger it, Dr. Farooq Hafiji? Yes, you can get eczema at any stage in your life. You can get it from infancy, from, from birth. You can get it to, until you're 90, 95, 100. You can still get eczema. Uh, eczema is a disease that uh, comes up uh, and uh, that at any time. And the children usually get what we call atopic eczema, and that is an inherited type of eczema from the parents, and it and is related to allergies. Uh, so that, that is, uh, is usually a childhood problem, and as the person gets older, uh, it tends to settle down. Although the eczema remains, it's not as, it, uh, the flares don't come as frequently, and, and, and they don't last as long as, as the person becomes older. But in, old, in older age, um, other issues arise. And, uh, you know, most times, uh, after the age of 40, varicose veins start appearing on the, on the legs. And uh, varicose veins eczema is a very is a real problem, uh, and because you've got veins there which are not functioning very well, and that's not supplying the skin with proper blood, and then you start getting an eczematous rash uh, over the skin, uh, over the area where, uh, or below that area where the where the vein has become varicose enlarged. Uh, and the other the other thing that happens is that 
as we get older, the skin tends to dry out. Uh, our skin is a self-lubricating organ. It lubricates, it produces oil, so it, 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 uh, it moisturizes itself. You don't have to, you don't have to do it. Now, that, that brings me to another point. I see we have a bath and we use soap. And when we use soap to take away the dirt that we may have on our body, we're also taking away the oil that's on our body. So if you have a bath twice a day, you're taking the valuable oil that's protecting your skin away from your skin twice a day. So we say you should only have a bath with soap once a day. If you want to have a shower, another shower during the day, have the shower without using soap, just the water, just a rinse, because you really don't want to take the protective oil off your skin. But now, in, in older age, because we lose some of these uh, cells that produce the oil, it just the skin becomes dry. And there are certain areas of the body where this happens. And one of the areas is between the knees and the, uh, and the ankles and, and on the feet. The other one is on the sides of the thighs. The other one is on the sides of the buttocks. Uh, the other one is in the neck, on the neckline. Uh, these are areas where the oil-producing glands don't function too well, and, and people get an eczema-type rash uh, developing from dry skin. And the dry skin causes itching. You scratch it, you get a rash. So, and, and just moisturizing sorts it out. Moisturizing sorts out most of the eczema, even varicose eczema. You'll find that the moisturizer uh, will, will, will help quite a bit significantly, unless it's red and angry looking and inflamed, in which case you need a cortisone cream. Uh, uh, besides that, uh, just using a moisturizer usually sorts it out. And the earlier, the earlier you start treatment, the better. Jazakallah for that, uh, doctor. Really uh, good advice coming through. Salman says, Assalamu alaikum. They call me Haji Pei and all know me. I enjoy the program, the Shafaat. Give uh, salams to Mufti A.K. Hussain. Oh, Walaikum salam. Please ask our Dr. Hafiji what is the best laxative he will suggest for elders in the 70s and how often should we take it, uh, Doc? Uh, yes, uh, you, you, need to, you need to make sure that your bowel moves at least once a day. If it moves twice a day, it's even better. So you need to organize your diet in such a way that you need to, to, to go twice a day. As you get older, our bowel tends to get lazy, if you want to use that word. Uh, it, it doesn't function as well. So most elderly people will suffer from some constipation. So you need to find foods that actually reverse it. Uh, so that helps uh, the constipation. And you need to avoid foods that promote constipation, that makes makes you more constipated. So let's go through some of the foods. So some of the foods that cause constipation are anything made with white flour. White flour, shortbread, um, rice can constipate you. All these can constipate you. Uh, and eating too much of uh, cakes and, and biscuits uh, made from white flour can constipate you. So these are things that need to be limited. Now, if you're making biscuits, uh, make the biscuit, but put some bran inside. Bran is a fiber. So, so uh, if you, if you put, put some unprocessed bran in, a, in your cakes or in your biscuits, uh, you can have them because then now you've got the unprocessed bran, which is acting as fiber uh, for, for, your, for your tummy. Uh, you, you should have a, a high-fiber breakfast cereal. Uh, there's quite a few available. 
and uh, and you must have fruit and fruit and vegetables. And the best fruit for uh, constipation are are pears, and you must have the skin with it. You must eat the skin. And uh, there's a particular pear called Peckham pear. It's available throughout the year. And you should, if you have one pear a day with the skin, uh, that helps helps to relieve the constipation uh, quite a bit and makes your stomach work. So, and 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 but any fruit with the skin, with the skin, because that's where the fiber is and that's where the ingredient, the, the chemicals are that makes your stomach, your bowel work. So, you know, you, you use that. Vegetables also, all vegetables are very good. Uh, you can use lentils and beans and uh, whatever else you, whatever, whatever other vegetables that that uh, you, you you can. All vegetables have fiber in them, and you can use any of those vegetables. So make sure that you have enough vegetables, enough fruit, and and try and avoid white flour and put some bran in the in the baking if you if you if you're baking. And uh, the other thing that you need to do is to make sure that you are well hydrated because if you don't have enough water, uh, your stools are going to go hard. And it's going to, you're going to be, become constipated. So uh, you need to drink. Make sure that you need to drink water on a regular basis. Uh, you know, it depends on your size, of course. But on an average, um, 150 ml glasses of water a day for an average person. If you are a small built person, you may need a little less. If you are a large built person, you may need more than that. But on an average, 1.5 liters a day. That's what you need to keep to sustain your body. And to make sure that your that the fluid from your from your bowel is not reabsorbed by the body because it wants some water, so uh, that's uh, something else to think about. And the third thing that helps to to regulate your bowel is exercise. So you find that if you walk uh, on a regular basis, you find that your bowel will, will will move on a regular basis. So rather than taking laxatives, rather make the bowel function every day. Uh, so that you don't have to take laxatives. But if you do have to take laxatives, there are quite a few available. Uh, there's there's, uh, there's, there's Dulcolex, the, the uh, there's Senocot, uh, there's quite a few available. Pharmacists will be able to help you as far as that is concerned. And some of them come in suppository form as well, and some of them in tablet form. So there's a whole host of them. But I would urge you rather fix your diet up to prevent the constipation, then you don't even have to take laxatives uh, to, to, to clear your bowel. Absolutely brilliant there, Dr. Farooq Kafiji. I tell you, people, what a pleasure to listen to him. And he's got the art of delivering uh, the, you know, uh, the, the prescription so beautifully. Uh, yes, Haji Pe, what uh, Dr. Farooq Kafiji told you, have a pay. Yeah, it's good, good for your... Uh, for your system also. Yusuf Arvi says, Assalamu alaikum. Top show. Jazakallah. Dr. Hafiji is, uh, uh, Dr. Hafiji, is all the negative news about wearing masks true? Do they really make us more sick? Uh, doc, you know, you hear many people giving different stories about masks. Some say they make me, uh, you know, nauseous. I can't breathe. I can't do this. Others say, no, you must wear it. How do you react to that, Doc? Yes, uh, the, the mask has been with COVID, uh, the mask has been found to play a very significant role uh, in preventing the spread of this virus. Uh, now, when you wear a mask, it, unless you wear an N95 mask, uh, which is tightly uh, across your face and on your nose so that no air enters from the sides or the, up or the uh, top or bottom of the mask, uh, then you are quite safe. 
but uh, that's that's what medical people use. They use an N95 mask uh, or a KN95 mask, uh, which uh, which which can prevent the virus from going in. But we normal people are using cloth masks. Now it depends on the cloth. If the cloth is heavy, and uh, and the stitches are closed, you don't have a problem breathing, because. You, you, it's, it's, you know, the air is not going to travel very easily through it. So you need to select a material that is uh, that is not as dense that would allow you to breathe a bit better. Uh, surgical masks are ideal because surgical masks are made for us to breathe uh, because doctors use doctors and nurses use these masks throughout the day at, at, in the hospital. They have the masks on all the time. So. These are surgical masks which are meant to be used uh, for long periods of time, and the breathing becomes very easy. So just just be careful that you select your mask very carefully. Now, remember, why are you wearing a mask? Uh, because I told you, you can use the N95 mask, which will prevent the virus from going coming into you. The cloth masks do not do that. They don't protect you 100% from the virus. Some of the viruses can go through the mask. The reason why... You we're wearing a mask, is to stop spreading the virus to other people. The reason for that, again, is that we find that with the COVID-19, the surprising thing is that 40% of people who have COVID-19 don't know that they've got it. They, have got, they, they, don't have, they don't get any symptoms whatsoever. No sore throat, no fever, no cough, no nothing. They're normal people, but they're carrying the virus. Now, they... They are asymptomatic carriers, with the result that they are the ones who will spread the virus to other people without realizing that they're spreading it. So each time you cough, you sneeze, a whole lot of viruses come out of your body. Each time you talk or you laugh, or you, uh, 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 you, viruses are coming out of your body. You know, in cold weather, we get a, like a mist coming out of our mouth. Those are little aerosol drops that come out of our mouth, and usually they go up towards the ceiling or up towards the sky because they are so light. The, virus, the viruses ride on this here, and, 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 and this is the one that can go into you. If you're sitting in a room with people who, who've got the virus, uh, people who are just breathing will breathe out the virus, and if you're sitting there for more than 10 minutes, all this has been worked out. If you're sitting there more than 10 minutes in a room which is not well ventilated, the chances are very high, whether you're wearing a mask or not, that you, you will pick up the coronavirus. The chances are very high. But again, it depends. If Allah Ta'ala wants to give it to you, he'll give it to you. If you're taking precautions, he'll give it to you. If you're not taking precautions, well, then it's coming from you, not, uh, not, uh, not anywhere else, because Allah Ta'ala tells us what's, what's good comes from him and what's not good comes from ourselves uh, in the end. So uh, we need to take precautions. And if we take precautions and we get it, then we can say Allah Ta'ala wanted us to get this virus. And now we've got the virus. So we'll, we'll, we'll make suffer and go through it uh, as, uh, as an illness. So, that, so the mask wearing throughout the world, the reason why this virus did not spread very fast in South Korea and in Vietnam and in Japan is because People are wearing masks. So you see, what, what happened in America, what happened in Italy, what happened in Spain, people were not wearing masks. And the thing completely went out of control, where people were really dying in corridors of the hospital and in car, in car park 
in the car park outside the hospital uh, because of the number of people who developed the infection. And uh, so now, now it's compulsory virtually all over the world for people to wear a mask because they've now uh, determined, they've proven, proven it, that the mask can actually prevent you from infecting the other person. So uh, we as Muslims, we have to protect our fellow people. We, we have to protect other, other people, and we, we should not harm them. We should not do anything that will create a problem for them. So to wear a mask, we're actually protecting the other person. So we are actually fulfilling the rights of our, of, of our, our Islamic duties. Uh, so I think that's important for us to wear a mask. Absolutely, Doc. Uh, we have about uh, uh, exactly two minutes to go. Uh, let's uh, perhaps take Nali Kaki's uh, uh, WhatsApp here. She says, "Assalamu alaikum. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed this program. Uh, please advise us uh, all, uh, Doctor Saab. What effect does uh, temper and anger have on our health?" Hey, Nali Kaki. Good question, Doc. Hey, uh, yes, not good at all. Very bad. Uh, it it it. it, it uh, <laughs> It causes a, a rise in blood pressure, and if you're angry for 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 many many uh, you know very frequently, you're, you're gonna you're gonna end up with high blood pressure, and you probably end up with cardiovascular disease, heart disease. Uh, so it's not worth it. You 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 also end up with other diseases uh, and like cancer because of the stress that you're putting on on your body. So the person who's angry has a problem, and that problem needs to be addressed. Uh, and, and if that problem is not addressed, uh, that person is going to make is going to be angry with everybody around them, and uh, and you know they they uh, they will make life miserable for everyone around them. And of course, uh, besides the physical illness uh, that the person may suffer from uh, from being angry, uh, they they can cause depression in people around them, their spouses, their children, their their parents. They can they can actually uh, cause uh, uh, quite severe depression in, in people because of this constant anger that uh, they have. So anger management is, is something that is available. And uh, for a person who is prepared to go through the program, uh, yes, uh, they should do that because, uh, uh, you know, fixing the anger will not only help them, but will help the people around them as well. Absolutely, Dr. Farooq Afiji, you are mashallah this evening. You're sounding good. You know, you batted brilliantly on the wickets of Marcus Sahaba. Your parting words this evening? Yes, I think for this coronavirus is still around. I think we need to just take care uh, that we are, are protecting our elderly people. Remember, 82% of people who develop the coronavirus are get a mild, in, mild illness. So we're not, we're not concerned about that. It's like a flu. But uh, we're concerned about the other 18% who develop it very badly, and especially the people who are over 60 with high blood pressure and diabetes and asthma and other diseases and people receiving cancer treatment. Please be careful with these people because when they get it, they get very sick. When, they, when we die, it depends on Allah SWT. But this disease is leaving people disabled when they get better. It's, it's, it's called long covid it's leaving people unable to breathe properly. They can't walk properly because of shortness of breath. And they have survived the COVID, but they are left with lifelong disability. Dr. Farooq Kafiji, you go well. Inshallah, I'll talk to you in the near future. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Tell you, yes, people, Jazakallah Khaira for your questions that you have sent in. And uh, Luke Carlo, eh, that it went so well, mashallah, flawless engineering for the first half of our program. Time for us to go for uh, the Azan. When we get back, uh, pertinence uh, punctuated, uh, we'll be uh, commencing with, uh, yes, uh, Sheikh Maida first and uh, then Mulana Salim Karim. Let's go for the Azan. 